0: The Cosmos Country, where our reporters talk about dealing with climate change in rural and regional Australia. This week,
1: Dr. Glenn Morrison and Marie Lowe explore what's known as urban greening, bringing nature back into the place we live in rural and regional cities and towns. Hi everyone, this is Dr. Glenn Morrison coming to you from Alice Springs with a big welcome to Cosmos Country the podcast that goes past the city limits to ask how regional Australia is doing on climate change. So if you watched the federal budget recently, and and all right, maybe you had something better to do, but if you did watch it, you would have heard the Commonwealth promise huge sums to help green our nation and especially the building and construction industries, but also the spaces we use in between the buildings. Now, I I reckon it's fair to say that most of that sort of activity so far has been in the big cities but it doesn't mean uh the city's country cousins can't get a look in so what i'm wondering is what is uh what does all this mean for our regions you know the the small communities the the towns the almost cities that dot the landscape outside of sydney perth and brisbane and and to that end i have on the line fellow cosmos cosmos country journalist marie Lowe. hi marie how's it going
2: Hello, Glenn. It's going very well here in Gunnedah. How are you?
1: Yeah, good, thanks. It's um, it's a freezing morning in Alice Springs and I've got my, my scarf on.
2: Yes, I've just taken mine off, but we did have a nice nifty zero this morning.
1: We were a balmy 8. This is our very first edition of Cosmos Country. Our guest, of course, is Dr Brenda Lynn from the CSIRO, and she knows all about urban greening. Hi, Brenda. How are you? I'm Brenda, coming from
0: Brisbane, Yuggera country, where it's it's warmer, so <laughs> we have to be thankful for that.
1: <laughs> Brenda, my sheet here tells me that you're an interdisciplinary ecologist, which sounds super interesting. And I'm wondering if, before we start, you can just tell us a bit about what that is exactly.
0: Yes, definitely. Well, I, I'm an ecologist, which means that I really like studying how different parts of the environment interact. So really understanding um, the environment as a system, what happens with the waterways, what happens with the green space, what happened, how how do different animals interact and interact with with plants. Um, But I, I like to say I'm interdisciplinary because I wanna go beyond that. And what I'm really interested in is also how do people interact with everything around them. And increasingly I've become interested in how people interact with a changing environment around them. So with climate change, we're seeing green spaces in natural areas change, but green spaces in urban areas have to change as well. And as we live more and more in cities, people have to figure out how do, how do you go and have a hike? How do you interact with different parts of nature when there's less of nature around you?
2: This could also be non-urban greening in country areas, couldn't it? How does that look? Are we needing to worry about that?
0: We see with climate change, green areas around Australia will most likely change, right? There's increasing temperatures. uh, There's changing amounts of precipitation that are occurring in different regions. And so that definitely puts a stress on what the ecosystems are there naturally and what you can probably support in the in the natural environment as well as in the cities and so it's 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 relevant to both big cities and even small cities and towns
1: Brenda is it just uh, the climate change thing or is it are we talking like Bhutan has a, a kind of a gross national happiness quotient are we happier in green cities and towns and small communities
0: I think there are people who really Understand and value green space, and they recognize this positive impact they have that green space has on them, right? I think there's a lot of studies that have shown green space are, are, are positively correlated with mental health. Um, you know, it's a place where people can go for walks, for runs to playgrounds, uh, but it's also a place where people can just go and be away from other people or be in a park space alone. Even though they know that they're part of a community, so there's aspects of social connection, uh, community building that really come from green spaces.
1: It's reminding me of the the uh, trend towards what they're calling forest bathing, which is just being out in the in the environment. Oh,
0: definitely. I think uh, I think I think for a lot of people it does. What we're finding more though is that there are a group of people that it doesn't seem to impact as positively that there isn't these mental health benefits and and we're trying to relate it we're trying to understand why Um, and some of it seems to be related to things like their how connected they already feel to nature how much they know about nature and if they don't really feel that connected to nature they don't seem to get the benefits so it brings us to that question of how do you get people to be connected to nature early on and and continuing through their through their life so that they can get these health benefits.
2: So in regional areas, do you have any suggestions how people who have traditionally been connected to nature, how do they retain that connection as the population grows? Are there things that can be done now to plan for the future?
0: I think one of the opportunities that are there for a lot of regional cities and towns is that they are growing. And as they're growing, they can plan their cities in a way that ensure that different types of green space are around. And something that we've seen in our research is that you can't, you can't have one type of green space, right? What people want are different kinds of green space that they can use whenever they want, right? So how someone, someone someone who wants to go for a hike one day might want to do a picnic by water the next day. So it's about, the range of green spaces that we allow to occur and we encourage to occur as cities are developing and so that's a huge opportunity that towns and 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 small and small cities can actually take advantage of versus what's happening in a lot of the bigger cities where you're trying to retrofit buildings so that they can have vertical gardens or roof gardens you're trying to retrofit areas to make room for public green space, to plant trees. And that's that's actually been very challenging because putting a million trees in a city that is already pretty full is, is difficult.
2: So small towns have the opportunity to start from the beginning, to get it right from now. And to design something
0: really innovative and really interesting that draws even more people to want to come and live there, I think.
1: Is it essentially about natural things because uh, for example, here in Alice Springs, and I know that in other very sunny areas where we seem to be obsessed with shade structures, yes, which personally leave a lot to be desired from my point of view. I'm wondering why we don't plant trees. And are they are they legitimate things or how, how do they fare? How do they rate?
0: What tree you plant where is probably really important. So trees need a certain amount of sun. They need a certain amount of water. They need water throughout the year, probably. And and I think what is a difficulty in uh, a lot of regional Australia is that there isn't that consistent rainfall. So we work in Darwin, and what we see is a very seasonal rainfall. And what we would like is to increase the tree canopy there because it is so hot. And really, you don't want to walk anywhere that isn't shaded. You don't wear, want to bike anywhere that isn't shaded. Um, the challenge is, how do you maintain and keep those trees um, alive during the the dry season? And that sometimes takes a lot of money and a lot of management takes a lot of people going out, trucking water in watering trees um, to get them going or get them established and then making sure that they're okay at different temperatures in the summer or as it gets hotter into the future. So it it does take quite a bit of planning. um, But I, I think there are possibilities there that can be mixed nature and other types of infrastructure, such as these different kind of shade systems. But I think we have to get creative about the way we think we do urban greening. How do we maintain it? How do we integrate it into different systems and allow people to interact with it in a way that still feels natural? Because e- even in Darwin, there's a lot of natural areas that are more savannah. So how do you actually maintain those natural lands to support the natural ecosystems that are there and still maintain forested areas by the coast, the riparian corridors that have more water, that protect the coastline from king tides and other um, other storm events, and still allow people to interact with both trees, but then also some of the the native vegetation that that is further inland.
2: I'd kind of like to ask Brenda, if I'm a person here sitting in Gunnada, which I am, what can I do to help with uh, non-urban greening? What can one person do to start making a difference? One of the things that we think is that there are too many
0: really very specific things that we ask people to do. When it's like a, it's a general, right? If we all generally think about what we're like, what we're consuming, how much we're consuming, how much waste we have, um, think about how we're thinking about even our own yards, how we spend time in green space, how we how we interact with it. There are just general things we could do with our own lifestyle that really help with our health and with greening. So I think if we're spending time for ourselves in urban green spaces and taking a walk, it actually shows the council and the policymakers. This is a very important space. People are using it. We need to invest in it. We need to to design it for the way that people uh, want to use it. So I think you really speak a lot with your own
1: feet. And I'm imagining uh, bustling orange trees down the median strip in Alice Springs, which would be great. Oh, that would be amazing. Especially, Especially with the price of groceries at the moment.
0: I will tell you, um, we spent three months in Stockholm last year. And one of the things that impressed me the most about living in Stockholm was that there is an urban forest that runs through the city. So there's a north forest and a south forest. And there's no expectation that you can drive your car up to anything and get there. Like if you want to go to the beach, it's probably a 10 minute walk through a forest to get there. And everyone just accepts it. And it just becomes this natural part of your, your daily life that you, you take these kind of long walks through nature to do what you wanna do, to walk and go to the grocery store. Um, and one of the things that I, we really appreciated as a family was that there are fruit trees throughout this forest. So as you get hungry, you might just stop and have some blueberries or have some cherries off of a tree or pick an apple or a pear or plum. and it's kind of the shared nature and shared nature experience where you interact with it in a very daily basis and how do we how do we build that into our cities i I would love to do that better
1: we'll have to leave it there but it's been an absolute pleasure uh dr brenda lynn um thank you to my colleague marie low i've had a lot of fun and i've i've learned a lot um you've been listening to cosmos country a place beyond the city limits where we ask those in Australia's regions how they're going with climate change. This is uh, Dr Glenn Morrison saying see you next time.
0: You've been listening to Cosmos Country as part of the Greenlight Project, a look at how regional Australia is preparing for and adapting to climate change. For more information, visit the Cosmos
2: website, cosmosmagazine.com.